Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and addiction, what you need to know. Uh, we're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show. Um, and write down the secret word of that show, and then just email me the, the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. Women diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood are more likely to have depression, be stressed, and have low self-esteem. It's recommended they talk to a professional to develop better life and stress management strategies. But here are some tips. Identify the sources of stress and make changes. Develop healthy self-care habits, such as getting adequate sleep, exercise, and good nutrition. To learn more about ADHD in women, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. So, Jan, can you introduce our guest? Jeff, our guest today is Dr. Todd Love. Dr. Love is a licensed professional counselor and board-certified coach with a unique background. His first career in the corporate tech field and his second career as a DUI defense attorney both give him a unique perspective in helping his clients work through various issues. Dr. Love's clientele seeks his help in dealing with stress and anxiety disorders, substance abuse, gambling, gaming, internet, or pornography addictions, self-medicating for ADHD symptoms, and much more. Being both a clinician and a coach, Dr. Love's direct, open-minded style appeals to adult males of all ages and geographic locations. So, Jeff, we're happy to have Dr. Todd Love with us today. Todd, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, everybody, I, if you've listened, you know that I love this job. I, I've been doing Attention Talk Radio since 2010. I get to interview subject matter experts. Never did I dream I'd get the education. And I was introduced to um, Todd uh, through a, a, an, a, actually somebody who listened to the show because I was really wanting to learn more about ADHD and addiction at a kind of a deeper level. And I was having a conversation with him, and, and, and Todd was just so articulate in a lot of details that I had to have him on the show. So. Let's, let me give you a little bit of background 
leading up to why he's here, and we'll get into some of the, the topics we really want to surface. I did my first interview with Dr. Kenneth Bloom, I think back in 2014, 2015, and he coined the phrase reward uh, deficit syndrome. And he's dedicated to try to help everybody with addictive behavior, more the opioid epidemic, which, as he says, there's like 100 million Americans that struggle for some type of addictive behavior. In 2018, I did an interview with Dr. Clifford Sussman because I was concerned about digital addictions at that time. We did a three-part series about um, dopamine and then how games are manipulated to get you kind of addicted in treatment. And I say all this stuff because before the pandemic, I – probably coached a handful of people that probably needed to go to some type of rehab because of addictive behavior. But in the pandemic, oh my God, it came out of the woodwork. I mean, there was, I mean, dozens of people that I was working with that really were having some addictive behavior problems. And I, my sense is they, everybody was sent home. They were bored. They started doing things to occupy their mind and it created a problem. So that's what led to our show today. And, you know, Todd, perception is addictive uh, addiction has actually increased recently. Is that what? What are your thoughts on that? Is that is, is that just me or no? I, th- I think that makes sense. You know, um, with the whole internet addiction thing, for lack of a more um, smooth term, basically, we, everybody was put right in front of a media that was can be so addictive to some people, and were there all the time. Um, so, you know, by being, you know, isolated, which is an addiction factor, being put yep. in front of a device, whether it's, you know, a screen or a small screen that is just designed to capture attention, blood, dopamine, all that stuff, for people that had predisposing factors, and I think ADHD is an informal predisposing factor yep. um, to getting hooked on something like games and internet and all that, it was just really, I think that's, you know, yep. been a problem. So we, we did a show many years ago, actually we've done a couple shows on boredom, and I think this, the first board show I did in more was like 2014, and I was doing some research at the time. They were defining agitated boredom as the physical discomfort where a person is motivated mm-hmm. to escape the plight. And I know, uh, Ty, with my clients, I talk about when things are boring, it takes a lot of cognitive effort to sit in discomfort. So in other words, if you're in pain, like you've got a migraine headache, it's really hard. You want to seek comfort. And so the way I kind of try to help people understand is during the pandemic, people were bored and they were uncomfortable and they were gravitating to these things that were more pleasurable just as a means to, to, to relieve the anxiety and the stress of that. And so once they got on, things got a little bit more difficult. Um, now that's the way I describe it. Is, would you, is that an accurate way? Is there any merit to that? Or, or do you think that that is, is leading people in the wrong direction? No, I think that makes good sense. It makes good sense. So one of the things that was really interesting to me when we talked is the notion there's two categories of addiction. One's chemical and one's behavioral. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, I guess all addiction comes from the same part in the brain, um, the midbrain, the mesolimbic dopamine pathway, people that like to go at that level. Um, the addictionologists these days are using kind of a phrase, addiction is addiction is addiction. They used to separate different types. Are you addicted to cocaine or is it alcohol or is it gambling? And, you know, realize it's the same circuitry. But mm-hmm. it can manifest differently. So certainly substance addictions, um, you know, it requires bringing in an outside chemical to initiate the process. Um, but then once that's, you know, you bring in the opiate or the cocaine or whatever, they all act in different parts of the brain, but immediately they also fires off a jolt in the reward center 
for behavioral addictions, it's the behavior. It's bringing it in through the eyes or, you know, being in the environment, sitting there at a craps table or whatever somebody's, you know, thing is. Um, that is what's activating that exact same brain area. So while we're not getting intoxicated in the stumble around or go crazy sense, um, that addiction pathway in the, in the midbrain is just getting more and more fed and fed and fed with dopamine, and the brain becomes dependent on it. it you know, it becomes a primary motivator to go back, give me more of that, give me more of that. Yep. <laughs> so that's, how, <laughs> that's, what the, that's what's going on. I'm having a flashback to, I think it was the 70s, there used to be a sitcom called Welcome Back Carter, and uh, John Travolta was this character called uh, Vinnie Barbarino, and there's this thing where he's kind of walking mm-hmm. on, give me drugs, give me drugs, give me drugs. Anyway, not, not to get too far off topic, but I had this kind of flash from the system. Also, want to validate this. We'd done an interview with Dr. Kenneth Bloom many years ago, and it was kind of – when you're interviewing somebody, you ask a question, and it hasn't been asked before. It's kind of cool. And I, and I asked him, Dr. Bloom, are we addicted to drugs, et cetera, or are we actually addicted to dopamine? And he said, wow, you're actually correct. I've never been asked that question before, but the things that we're addicted to, like cocaine, nicotine, like even chocolate, those types of things, actually release dopamine. And this is very simplified, everybody, for the most part. And so that the, the things that we're drawn to are the things that release that, which really is just really kind of what you were talking about, um, Todd. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the chemical world, let's talk about that for a little bit, because when you have, there's a chemical addiction, um, there's, to, to me, I'm, I'm inferring from our conversation that there, there are addictions, but chemical addiction can, I mean, it can deteriorate your health over a period of time. Um, it can really create some problems in your life. And like sometimes you actually have to seek medical help because it can have some heart changes to you and just like your brain, I guess, from alcohol. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, all the secondary harms, I guess, that, yeah. that you don't find as directly in a behavioral addiction as you do. You know, if you're smoking yeah. whatever it is that you're smoking, you have all the lung damage, um, it, all the stuff that alcohol does to the liver. And, I mean, alcohol is just a, you know, an overall toxin. So, um, yeah, and that leads to a point which um, you may or may not be going towards, but it's the, the phenomenon of detox of withdrawal. So that's where people get confused with chemical addictions and behavioral addictions. People will say, oh, who goes into withdrawal from, you know, being on the Internet too much? And what they're thinking of is detox. So mm. when somebody has been bringing a chemical in and then you yank it away, the body reacts. You know, somebody's been smoking yep. or a drinker is getting, you know, the shakes or opiates or all that stuff. That is not withdrawal, even though, you know, the people get confused with the use of that word. Um, they're withdrawing from the substance, but it's a detoxification process. Withdrawal is when the brain is no longer getting its dopamine fix, and that's a mood-based process. Angry, irritable, sad, jumpy, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that happens if you, you know, take the gambler away from the table, yank the console away from the, the gamer, or, mm-hmm. you, you know, take someone's um, chemicals away. But that is the same process as withdrawal, which is a mood process yep. in both chemical or behavioral addictions. So I want to go to a break here in a minute, but it seems it seems to me, and again, everybody, seems means I'm jumping to conclusions. It's not objective fact. Is that people like chemical addictions? They might take it a little bit more seriously because I mean there can be medical issues like lung damage if you're smoking or or some of the effects of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Whereas the behavioral side doesn't quite have those same effects. Some so, so uh, medical effects. Is that right? And what I'm saying? Um, for the or, most or, part. Okay. Yeah. There's some few examples. There may be more than I'm giving credit for. 
I'm thinking, um, so there's Dr. Philip Doan, is, I don't know if I got his first name right, D-O-A-N. He's a, I think he was an MD, PhD. He's an opt- ophthalmologist working with the Navy, and he has his own recovery story of gaming addiction and all that, and he talked about the eye damage of extended hardcore gaming, just staring for hours and days, and just, you know, he calculated, I think he said, I had 100,000 hours in gaming when I was in med school. I don't do numbers well, so I may have that wrong. But he started looking at there's actual damage that some people have. And I think there's probably going to be more with, you know, small screens staring yep. at our phone for hours, just getting addicted. The, the, the body is not adjusted to that yet. So. Wow. That's interesting. Interesting. Well, I tell you what. Yeah. Everyone, let's, uh, let's go to break. Um, for those that are interested in learning more about Todd Love, go to his website. It's DOC. T-O-D-D-L-O-V-E dot com. Again, it's D-O-C-T-O-D-D-L-O-V-E dot com. Our secret word tonight is um, addiction. Kind of makes some sense for the show. And I would like to kind of do a little bit of a shout out. Um, Time Timer has been an advertiser with us. Actually, one of the first ones with us since uh, 2011. And um, we're kind of moving to really more having conversations about some of the people that are promoting us. And I encourage people who like our content to maybe visit timetimer.com and take a look. They have a visual clock that kind of helps with time. There's an executive function reason why it's beneficial for those with ADHD. In as much as when you're reading like digits off a clock, you have to kind of read it and convert it. Whereas if you see time as a pie and it's shrinking, it's actually kind of a cognitive shortcut. So, With that, we're going to run to commercial break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Are you a parent of a child, teen, or young adult with ADHD? If you're like us, you're always looking for something you can do that will really help your kids. Impact Parents gives you the tools with guidance so you can empower your kids so they can learn to manage their own lives. For confidence in parenting and peace in your home, download a free guide with 12 key coaching tools. Go to impactparents.com slash parentADHD for the guidance you've been seeking. That's impactparents.com slash parentADHD. Start making things better for your family today. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are here talking about addiction. My sense is it's on the rise for the people with ADHD um, who are already predisposed to have addicted-type behavior just based on the condition. We look a lot of ADHD as impulsivity, uh, which is really more or less self-regulation, self-control, and as I alluded to earlier, I think the ADHD brain just does not like to be uncomfortable. And so it's got a reflexive urge to seek comfort. What looks like a focus issue it is, but often it's the urge to, to escape discomfort. Sometimes heavy thinking is discomfort. Boredom is uncomfortable, among other things. And so we can see why there is a propensity to go to things that are self-soothing, 
uh, types of things are addicting. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about chemical addiction and the notion that there can be some medical damage that's there. Also, um, you can actually, I mean, you can, if you're driving under the influence on some of those types of drugs, you can actually kill other people in a DUI situation. So some of the things about chemical addiction kind of make it look, appear more serious. That doesn't necessarily mean it's always more serious, but is that perception that a chemical addiction is more addictive behavioral? What are your thoughts on that, uh, Todd? Um, I, th- I think it's a great point. Yeah, I was thinking about that. So it gets more attention. So, uh, yeah, an alcohol, you know, a drunk driver goes and kills a, you know, a, fam- a young family, and mm-hmm. it, there's this, it's obviously a horrible thing, and it gets media attention and gets more, you know, funding and all that stuff. But people that are hooked on, you know, that are having addiction issues, I guess gambling has gotten enough um, attention in, over the decades where it's now officially recognized as an addiction. But that's the only behavioral addiction. So anything Internet-related, uh, games or porn, sex addiction, you know, other other kind of behavioral stuff is not really acknowledged. And I, it's interesting to me because I, I do think that we look at the chemical addictions as as a, a bit more challenging. I want to reiterate: you can you can hurt somebody, you can have like medical treatment that's there, and it's it's it's, it's a bit of a challenge. On the behavioral side, it's to me it's almost like people don't take it that seriously. And I and and I a case in point. Um, Todd, have you back chance seen the Netflix special, The Social Dilemma? That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you're listening to this and you have not seen it, you need to go to Netflix and watch it. It's called The Social Dilemma, and it's a documentary that I think is very well done. At the beginning of it, you've got a bunch of tech people that are like kind of looking around like there's this thing that we don't understand in this technology space. But as you get into it, it starts talking about social media and how they are – willfully manipulating um, social media to make it more addictive, to get people onto it. And there's a, a simulation that's kind of going on of, a, of a, like some guys behind the computer screen that are manipulating uh, a, a, a boy and a family. And later starts talking about its impact on news and media. And, you know, Todd, one of the things that's been interesting to me is I've had people that had what I consider behavioral addictions to their phone and I'll refer them to go watch that documentary. And while they'll come back and they'll be like, wow, that's kind of intense. It's almost like it doesn't click. Like they might actually be one of them. Is that Mm. a phenomenon that you see? Yeah. Um, You know, the, well, as you've talked about, and I think you've spent more time in other podcasts on this, how the designers, you know, are building this, you know, to keep to keep eyeballs, to keep views, to keep you yep. know, refreshes, to keep people coming. So it's a social mandate almost that we do this and virtue thing. Oh, I'm online all the time. I'm always getting caught up. I'm always whatever. And so not really acknowledging that. Hey, you know, is, is that a good thing? And that's a good reflective question for clients yep. sometimes. Is, is that actually a good thing? Um, it, it, we're programmed or socially to not think it is a bad thing. Well, you know, it's interesting because this gets a hard because it's a great self-awareness question. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I'm specifically finding more digital addictions to be there. And this is a true story. I'm, I'm coaching an individual. We're about two or three weeks um, into coaching, and uh, we were having a conversation, and it kind of came up that this person was on YouTube five or more hours a day. And I said, well, do you realize that there's a bunch of computers that are studying your behavior and are t- 
teeing up another video, video mm-hmm. after video, knowing that you're going to be interested in it and get you to click on it. And her response was, yes, I have surrendered myself to it. And in that moment, wow. I said, is our work done? And she's like, what? It like didn't dawn on her. I'm like, what do you think that I'm going to do that's going to help you improve productivity when you've surrendered yourself to this particular thing? And it's got you kind of hypnotized. And it was interesting because it was very upsetting um, discussion with her. I mean, I mean, she, literally, she was upset, and she's like, no, no, I can do this. Ultimately, she got to where she could reduce it to about three and a half hours, but it still was impairing her day, yet she didn't know it. And my question is, it seems to me that's kind of the thing about behavioral addictions is because they don't have some of those other things the chemical side does, people tend to discount and act like they're not there, which is actually a bigger problem because the self-awareness isn't there. They've surrendered themselves to it. Is it would that be an accurate summation, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. And then something that I was putting together in my head as you're saying this, I've not put these words together, so let my ADD mind babble them together while we talk. Sure, is, sure. Um, you know, when somebody is using chemicals, um, there is the obvious effect for, I mean, you can't have a drink and enjoy it in that moment and then not have it sit with you for the next however long, right? You know, it would be yep. carried forward. Um, but when something like Internet use, the thought is, well, when I'm done, I'm done. I'm walking away from my two-hour bender at the console or, you know, looking at a bunch of porn and all that stuff, and then I'm done. But we're not because, there, it start, you know, the brain is super agitated. If you follow some, someone around with an EEG machine looking at the brainwave activity after they've just had an intensive, you know, two-hour gaming thing, they're not going back to sleep. They're not going to go and work on their, you know, project or their paper or whatever. Um, all kinds of chemicals are flooding around. So there is a lasting beyond just the amount of time somebody's been doing it. Um, it has a mood impact. The brain and the body is just jacked up for a little while, and it takes a while for it to come down, just like it takes cannabis or alcohol or whatever to flush out of the system. So I guess my point, it lasts beyond just the time we're spent doing it. I'm so glad you brought that up. So we're going to go a little off-road, everybody. Um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a, a, a webinar for Attitude Magazine, and I was disclosing this there, and I was surprised at the reaction of it. But for years, people would have come to me with ADHD, they struggle with sleep. And I always say, well, what's your brain entertaining itself with before you go to bed? And invariably, well, I'm on my phone. Kind of explain to them, again, the, you know, the human brain doesn't like to be bored. Putting your head on the pillow, it's supposed to take 15 minutes for you to fall asleep. That's incredibly boring, and the brain just leaps up to go grab something. I said, you know, most people with ADHD, they're going to bed, and they're passing out out of exhaustion, and they can't get up in the morning because they're sleep deprived. And so what I do from a coaching perspective is I'm trying to manage what they're paying attention to before they go to bed so that their brain can surrender itself to sleep. And the reason I'm bringing this up, and I I liked what you brought up, is this is like the invisible stuff that's impairing people's lives that I don't think that they get is because they're up late and they're thinking they're having a hard time getting out of bed and they don't realize it's a self-regulation issue in the evening. It's not about getting up in the morning. It's about putting the phone down at night. And mm-hmm. I'm bringing this up because this is a, an area where it's impairing people's life where I'm not really sure they're aware of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I like where and, you're going. And I, I tell you what, let's go to break because I need to kind of to, 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 to get that in. When we come back, I want to kind of just touch about the the mood issues related to behavioral adjustment. So um, – Given that we're going to go to break, again, for those that want to learn more about Todd and what he's doing, go to his website. 
D O C T O D D L O V E dot com. Again, that's D O C T O D D L O V E dot com. Again, our secret word tonight is addiction. And again, um, if you have ADHD and you struggle with time management, sometimes actually being able to see time very easily works. And I encourage you to go to timetimer.com and check out some of their devices. They might be helpful. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay, do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Todd Love talking about the intersection of ADHD and addiction. Uh, years ago, I did an interview with Dr. David Teplin, in, in, who, who was interesting. He said, you know, a good psychologist or psychiatrist, if you come in with ADHD, they'll automatically uh, screen you for substance abuse. And if you come in for substance abuse, they should automatically uh, screen you for ADHD. I've actually had other people make comments, and I'm not so sure these are accurate facts, so don't, don't recite these, but sometimes up to 45% of people that are in AA have ADHD. Again, that's subjective information. My point really is it doesn't really matter that number, but there's, it's, it's, it's a big deal in the ADD crowd because we're predisposed to it. Earlier, um, Ty was talking about um, when you stop these addictive type behaviors, there's a withdrawal piece of it um, that, and uh, hang on, I got to make sure that I'm getting my, my vernacular. There's a detox piece of it, which is a physical adjustment. And, but then there's also the withdrawal, the mood adjustment. And I, I want to I get your perspective on this, um, uh, Todd, because one of the things that I do to say, you know, do you think you have a problem with a behavioral type thing is, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share you some examples. I'm, I'm coaching this kid in college. And one day he comes in and he wants coaching on, uh, he's not going to class. And I've been coaching the guy for a little bit. And I said, let me ask you a question. When you wake up and you put your feet on the floor, like you haven't even taken a step, you put up your feet on the floor. And I really didn't know the answer to this question, by the way, where's the Xbox in relation to you? And he said, it's right next to my feet. And I'm going, that's like crack cocaine for you. You pick that thing up and you're done for the day. And he, I could, he heard me, and he acknowledged me, and I said, let me ask you a question. What would it be like if you crossed campus and put it in your girlfriend's apartment? My question was intended to say, you know, you're not getting rid of it. It's just across campus. And he was silent. So, Todd, I said, you know, I can feel the fur on the back of your neck standing on end. And the guy was, how could you feel that? <laughs> 
And my point was he began to get physically uncomfortable about the thought of that. And this is one of the reasons why I'm having you on, reach out to him, is because a week later he actually admitted that he had a, like a video game addiction. But going back to my original point is when you start talking about putting these things away, noticing your body and how it feels, there's almost like a mood change. Does that make some sense? I mean, this is the world of Jeff, the world according to Jeff, but have you experienced that or seen that of other people? And is that a, a good test to see, like, I might have a problem? Um, no, I think that's, that's right on. You know, that's, that's what the withdrawal process is. Um, you know, basically that reward part of the brain, which is used also for soothing and things like that, um, when we're starting to basically outsource the activities over and over and over and over again, uh, to things like games and screens and porn and whatever behaviors, um, that that brain area starts it stops self-regulating. We're, we're we're bringing it all in. So when we stop, it takes a while for that. I don't know. I used to use a factory floor analogy. You know, you fire everybody, you bring in scabs, then you get rid of them. I hope that's not a derogatory term. And then it takes a while for the factory floor to get working again. And mm-hmm. in that meantime, things aren't working right. And so that's kind of what's going on in the early recovery is things are just the, you know, the, I don't, I'm not a neuroscientist, so the dendrites haven't come back together and the neurons aren't firing right, or the resensitivity has not, I, I don't know exactly the, that level of detail, but I know at that level of detail, yep. things aren't working right. So it was explained to me a while ago, and I don't know if it's right, but sometimes it doesn't have to be perfectly right, just the analogy kind of makes some sense. And they said, let's say hypothetically you start taking cocaine, and what's happening is you're increasing the release of dopamine um, in the synaptic gap. And so what happens is you get that and the brain feels good, but the brain can't take that stimulation all the time for a long time. So the dopamine receptors begin to mute themselves, kind of like not as much as kind of getting through. So that's why you need more and more of the drug over a period of time to get the same feeling. And it was told to me is like when you go through detox, what's happening, number one, is you have an artificially high sense of, of, of equilibrium is that you're expecting this level of comfort and it's not there anymore. That's number one. And number two is, is it actually feels uncomfortable because when you're not getting that and you're going back down to regular levels, because what's happening, we're waiting for the dopamine receptors to kind of come back to life and hit homeostasis. It takes a period of time so that, that, that detox period is literally, it's, it's like, you're not normally it feels really uncomfortable because you're so more used to the dopamine and feeling that level of comfort that you've become irritable and physically uncomfortable and it will write itself over a period of time the point really is is that you have to kind of expect it and to me this is it, it there's a little bit of that that happens in people's moods when somebody like puts a phone down for a couple of days and they go through something to me there's a, a, a heightened level of, of sensitivity in their mood because they're uncomfortable because they're not used to their fix do you think there's something to that um, I think you're right on with that, and, and that's fantastic. Um, so my own ADHD admission, um, you know, in the arena like this, I get kind of worked up and talk fast and jump around, and I don't pull up all my good notes in my head. Um, I've written a couple um, papers and even a book chapter on the neurobiology of addiction and whatnot, and I had forgotten the stuff that you just brought up there about how things, um, you know, start downregulating, yep. muting themselves, and homeostasis has not yet been met. And it takes a while for all that to come back. So you're refreshing me on, on that. Yep. With that um, but, yes, it's, it's, it's right on. So that's very cool. So let's, let's kind of pull this together. 
one of the things, that, again, particularly the behavioral addictions, my general sense is that people with ADHD don't view behavioral addictions as seriously as they do chemical addictions. Again, that's, that's just Jeff's observations and experience. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. And so the more the behavioral addictions are a little bit more subtle. They kind of you can you get into like maybe a little bit of TikTok and then a lot of TikTok. It's almost like you don't know that you're over the top until you're well into it. One of the ways that you can really find out that if you might have a problem is the, the notion of trying to put things away for a little bit, and you'll notice in your body the discomfort that you have. Not, you haven't even put it away. Just the mere idea that you're putting it away could be a little bit of a problem. And also in 2018, when we were talking about the digital addiction with, with Clifford Sussman, at that time I was saying, you know, this is going to be a challenge because it's like an eating addiction. You still have to eat and you still have to kind of go online. But I think the key really is, is you have to say, is this having a negative impact on my life? And if, if you're going to a coach for productivity because you can't get off of your phone and you've surrendered yourself, there's a good chance that that's impairing your life. And when I was talking to you about this, sometimes – you, you might have to go to a, an extreme like I've as, as you and I were talking I've had some people like maybe you need to go to a flip phone and not a, a smartphone because you can't handle yourself and you brought up a, a, a really good point is yeah not only would it be uncomfortable but it actually is you know it's, life's going to be a little bit harder like if you go to a restaurant and the, you know you have to click on the QR code you're like I don't have that I have to have a menu but the severity and the challenges of this is becoming more and more that I want to put a spotlight on it, and I understand that you use your app to get up. They still make alarm clocks, by the way, and you might use your app for driving. They still make maps, by the way, is that if this is impairing your life, like trying harder might be that maybe you need to put these things away. What are your thoughts on, on some of that and the things that a person might do on behavioral addictions? Yeah, I'm really glad you went there. Um, so the, an analogy I use, I get, well, analogy or what, um, if somebody was trying to get sober from alcohol, nobody would have a realistic expectation that that would work, but you can still carry around a, you know, a small bottle in your pocket. You pull it out all the time, look at it, sniff it, just it, expect that yep. person not to drink it, out of it anymore. But that's how it is with our phones, right? You know, it's just, it's always there. And so even outside of addiction, impulse control impaired people such as us ADHDers, I'm pulling it out to check if I got a text telling me when my doctor's appointment is, and there's a little, you know, red icon saying you've got new whatevers. We're just drawn to that and drawn to that, and we lose time and blah, blah, blah. And then if an addiction is laid on top of that, it is really hard self-expectation yep. that we're just going to, you know, and I hate that word discipline and willpower. That's been, you know, I've diagnosed ADHD at four, and I've been, well, we come with it. You know, it's been weaponized against me all my life, by, you know, here and there. So people that say, I just need to be more disciplined. Like, oh, don't use that word. Anyway, I'm off the, the topic. Um, where was I going with this? Well, but, you know, you know, the, the more disciplined, I, I've, I, Dr. Barkley once said, you know, willpower is a finite resource. Like willpower is not mm -hmm. a long-term strategy, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I can tell, I'll tell you straight up is that in my business, number one, I do answer all the YouTube quotes myself i don't find youtube to be very addictive but um i don't i don't really get on instagram very much because i don't want to get there and i'm right now i'm vowing i probably but i don't really want to get on tiktok because i haven't met anybody who's really on tiktok that wasn't having a problem with it and so sometimes i think that having the awareness that this stuff this stuff is the people that are building these things are willfully 
they know exactly what they're doing and they're preying yep. on people. And the people with ADHD are the prey because you're predisposed to that. And, and the show is really about having the awareness on this behavioral side that a lot of people are going into these trances and not even aware of it. And that unfortunately the only way out of this is having the self-awareness to realize that you might be going over the top and you might have to start taking some drastic, um, doing some drastic things in order to put a barrier between yourself and what you're doing as a means to regulate yourself. Um, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, along the lines of that, I think you were asking that a second ago, a process I'll do sometimes with clients is, you know, get out a piece of paper, list, you know, in the left column, everything that you know you need to have on your phone. You know, I just have to have dual yep. factor authentication for, for this or yep. that. Um, what are the things that oh, I don't need? I don't need games. I don't need, you know, this or that. Pretty much anything infinite scroll is debatable whether or not we need to have it. And so then there's the, the middle tier stuff that you have to decide and negotiate, you know, whether I need it or not. But then take action steps. So delete all the stuff in that right column. Um, make decisions about the stuff in the middle. And then I've got a love-hate with Apple, but I like their iOS in that you can lock it down tightly, give somebody else the screen time passcode. There's even a setting in there so the user can't reset it you know, themselves. And then um, turn off access to the App Store. I might have just said that. And then, bam, you have kind of the equivalent yep. of a smartphone in terms of there's nothing on there that you can act out on that you can get looped into. And it's just the functional productive productivity device yep. that it was meant to be. And that's an interesting process to see people go through. There's this relief. There's this yep. grieving phase. Oh, my gosh, what have I done? And, and so people kind of yeah. um, acclimate to, okay, maybe I can have a good relationship with this damn thing in my pocket that's taken over my life. Yeah. Sorry. So I, I think that to, to simplify, because I just want to say what you said is that what you do is you're going to go into a computer or device and you create a, a child. So there's a parent child and you can program like what's available when like I can only have YouTube between like noon and 1230. Um, and then what happens and you lock down everything. So you can't download that. You can't make any changes. And then you have somebody else come in that has the, the username and password. So when you have that device, you're only able to access it in what's there and what's programmed. Anything else, you have to go to somebody else. That creates that barrier, that pause to help people think of what's going on. For many of you out there, I, I've had a lot of people like, well, yeah, but I need it for this and I need it for that. And then what's interesting to me is how they will start coming up with some of the most wacky excuses you ever heard as a means to keep access to the phone, which is another good indication that you probably have a little bit of a problem. Um, Time-wise, I need to kind of pull this thing together, but – you know, Todd, one of the things that, that my sense is, is that if you have ADHD, if you have addictions, particularly these behavioral addictions, you're starting to notice them, um, you can try the DIY thing for a little bit. But if it doesn't work in short order, it's probably, probably you should take it a little bit more serious and get somebody that's a professional to help. And again, there's some things in this world, they sound like they're a good do-it-yourself project, but when you think about it, it's really probably not. And my point really is to take it a little bit more serious. Thoughts on that? Does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. To, to give things the importance that they deserve and not kind of, and that's something that happens in addiction is we don't give the, you know, we, we downgrade it and we don't, you know, the importance of it, we don't look at it, we look away and all that stuff. But that's a really important factor that maybe is, like you said with your example of your client, your time is and your mental energy and everything is really going there. So how are you expecting yep. to be doing work here when this albatross you're not acknowledging? 
my mom once said, if if you think something's easy and you don't say that it's hard, you're not giving it the respect that it deserves to solve the problem. And mm. one of the things that I'm emphasizing here is if you think this is easy, you're not aware of it. Again, sometimes getting a professional to come in to help you is saying this is really, really hard. And I will tell you from experience, I have coached a couple people uh, with chewing tobacco addictions and some other things to go by. But one of the things that we do is like, what are we going to do to occupy your mind for two weeks and embrace yourself? Because you're going to, it's, you're going to get really uncomfortable for a period of time, and we need a plan in place to kind of deal with that discomfort because it's going to be hard. And I mean really, really hard. What's mm. interesting to me, Todd, is if you, really, if you really hype it up to be like agonizingly difficult, it's hard, but usually not as hard as, as, as it's built up to be. But if you don't acknowledge it's hard, it's a little bit of an issue. So um, as we come to a close, any last thoughts or comments that we should cover before we wrap it up? Thoughts or comments that we should cover. Um, so I have a nagging self-correction thing that I, I want to put out there. It's probably not worth these last little months of time. My brain doesn't deal in details. I don't like them. And, but I, Dr. Andrew Doan and 20,000 hours of gaming time. I had said earlier the wrong name and the wrong amount of hours. And in case anybody was interested in that and looked it up, I wanted to. And he's a, he's a good man. I want to put his proper name out there. So anyway, correcting that, um, going back to... Final thoughts. Um, I, I really like where you're going with this and that you're, you're putting it out there. It's such an under-acknowledged problem. I have a client or somebody who's a philosophy professor kind of a thing, and he, he talks about how, you know, this the social, what is it? I'm forgetting the words now. But, um, you know, it's almost looked up upon how much time we're spending. And Brene Brown yep. talks about, you know, this. we measure ourselves by how long and hard and all this stuff. And so we are drawn to be online, and is it really, you know, um, the right use of time? Is it causing more consequences other than just the loss of that time? Because now, again, someone's jacked up for two hours thinking, I can turn the console off and go to bed, but you need another 90 minutes because your brain needs to settle yeah. down. So there's just so much more to yeah. it than people give it credit for. You, you, uh, There's more to it than, than people realize. That was a great way to end it. I go back like the sleep issue. A lot of people are having sleep problems because they're not putting those things down. It keeps going for a while, so it's more there than you realize. So. And with that, uh, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure. Everybody, go check his website, D-O-C-T-O-D-D-L-O-V-E.com. Our secret word tonight is addiction. With that, we hope you've enjoyed this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care, everybody. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.